analysis as you read through that you and we just pick it up in English because that's how you know unless some of you got Greek down wrong <laughs> and he you can pick up that's Paul that's just Paul so there's guys that have done analysis with all the books that we know that Paul lettered and they do the comparisons with the language in from the original and they actually discovered that there are more Paulinish stuff language in Hebrews than even in Romans now this is important because they this critiquing of of the letters were important what's going to be involved in the canon what's going to be canonized what's not going to be canonized and so the scholars of our day and previously kind of picked on their you know the early church fathers and that kind of stuff i think they're they they've criticized them i think sometimes or harshly and so um and I, we'll pick up some of this as we close through this thing. It's like, oh, that sounds like Paul. Because it probably was Paul. But part of the argument from the scholar, scholar side of you, I suppose, is that they think Paul may have written it in the Hebrew and then it was translated into Greek by Luke. And that's quite possible. So uh, there are criticisms. Some of them are not without merit. I'll give them that. But um, in reality, who's really the author, right? That's what matters, is that the Lord wanted this written f for us and to us, um, and especially for the, the Hebrew Christians who were running away from the, the New Testament, the New Covenant, and back to the Old. So what we're going to see here as we finish up tonight, these, chapter 13 is really just a, a, a chapter, a closing chapter filled with these various exhortations and sort of distilled thoughts on Christian responsibility and some things that uh, the writer wanted to convey. As we covered last week, uh, he begins with love. You know, uh, love for the brethren, love for the strangers, love for prisoners, love for marriage. You know, that would be your spouse <laughs> and the whole relationship that's so special. A love for being content with what God has given you and to avoid covetousness. And really a love to pray, um, you know, not only for your needs, um, you know, because the Lord knows you uh, is our helper and, and all. And then a love, here's, we'll get into verse 8, a love for Jesus, a love for the Lord, just simply loving the Lord. And so it begins in verse 7 here as we read, Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. And so the idea there is that you need to pray for your leadership. And boy, do we need to pray for the leadership in the Church of Jesus Christ today across the world. My goodness, there's so many crazy things going on. Uh, you know, this is... I remember years ago when we were at a conference, and it was back in the late 80s when... Pastor Chuck started doing conferences around the country. And then the guys in those regions kind of picked it up and Chuck became a speaker. But um, we were just a small group in the Midwest at the time. And after one of the meetings, there was about oh, probably a dozen of us that were there with Pastor Chuck and everybody remembers Gil Irwin. Mm -hmm. Such a sweet brother. Learned a lot from him. 
and um, asking him a bunch of questions. I mean, it went on for about, you know, 45 minutes at least, and we got to, all got to bed about midnight, which was, you know, a real sacrifice having, you know, ministered throughout most of the day and then just to stay up and hang out with the pastors. It was, it was pretty good. But, you know, one of the questions that was asked that I've never forgot was, what's your biggest disappointment in ministry, Chuck? And he said, without really hesitating, those who get caught up in the flesh and fall, we need to pray for I mean, you smite the shepherds and the sheep are scattered. You got to pray for, you know, you can do so, he can do so much more damage by taking out the, the leaders who have an influence. And so that's what is being conveyed here. You know, uh, pray, remember those who rule over you. Remember them in prayer. Uh, love your teachers. Love, they're your examples. And then the, the big thing here is to love the Lord. You know, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Think about the unnatured, unchanging nature of Jesus. Now, we're constantly changing. We're, hopefully you're growing. You're, you're more mature in your faith than you were than the day you received the Lord. That's just the natural progression that we have as Christians. Regardless if you're not as diligent maybe as you think you ought to be in seeking Him, you're going to grow. You're just going to grow because it's the way He doesn't let you stay the same. Uh, but the unchanging nature, the theological term is immutability. Now, um, this is inferred because of his deity. And, uh, and even though it's not explicitly stated that way, now there's sort of an understanding that we need to have when it comes to deity and divinity. Divinity is the attributes of God. Uh, and deity is the nature of God. So God doesn't change. Jesus doesn't change. The Holy Spirit doesn't change. The Father's never going to change. And there's only one deity. There's only one God. And there's only two religions in the world, right? It's the Judeo-Christian religion and Satanism in its various multitude of forms paganism and the rest of the false gods now when we think about you hear the word divine beings and this is attributed to angels so you have three so we have three kind of beings that we're aware of we have animal kind we have human kind on this physical level and then we have in the sutures, in the unseen realm the, the supernatural uh, kind we refer to them as the divine, so angels sort of get labeled with divine. They're just they're divine, but they, it's, their attributes are supernatural to us. So God has supernatural; He has divine attributes. But just because the angels may have divine attributes, they're not deity. They want to be. They want to be worshipped. They want to have all power and all knowledge, but they don't. So. Sometimes we hear that, we hear the divine counsel, we think, whoa, what, you throw, what does that term mean? You know, well, it's just God meeting with a group of established leaders that he's created. You know, 
Daniel 4, Daniel 10 refers to them as the watchers. Uh, and the negative side of that, they're the, the, the principalities, the powers, the rulers of the darkness, the spiritual wickedness in high places. So it's important that we have those things understood in our mind. But here the focus is establishing the deity of Christ. He is on the same level as the Father and the Holy Spirit. He doesn't change. Yesterday, what happened? He created all the world and all the things in it. He has the ultimate plan for mankind. You know, there's that consideration was, you know, what was going on with why did God allow evil? And, you know, we kind of wondered those things and and the whole thing of continuing on because, I mean, if God is so good, then why does he allow bad things to happen? And, you know, everybody gets all wrapped around this. And did he question himself after he allowed it to go on? Like, that is, the, that is like, no. That's like a stupid question. He, that rules out his foreknowledge. He knew what was going to happen. And he thought, that's okay. I made them like me. They're less than me. They're gonna make. They're they're gonna blow it, but I'm going to come and demonstrate something that's all creation can see. And Peter refers to it as things that the angels like to would like to look into and discover, and that is grace. That's one attribute of God that could not really be learned by the angelic world because there was there was no access to fall. There was no act. There's no redemption for those who have rebelled. And there's an, we won't get into that. That might be a little bit above our prayer grade anyway. But there is provision for man to be redeemed. And so God had yesterday, he had all the plan for mankind. And then he incarnated and he wanted to be our kinsman redeemer. I think that's just an incredible plan. Wouldn't it be cool if I became a human being? Hmm. <laughs> I mean, how do you get your mind around that? It just the the whole thing is just wow. I just marvel at at God's plan. You know, and of course we would say, "Well, what do you want to do that for?" <laughs> I don't know, but we're here, so let's just get over it <laughs> today. What does He do today? Jesus lives to make intercession for you and me, for those who love Him. He's on our side. He's for us. He's praying for us. Come on, come on, come on. He's like the ultimate cheerleader. And we're coming down the home stretch. You can make it. Come on, come on, come on. He's interceding for us. He's our helper. We don't need to fear. That's sort of what he referred to in the previous verses. He knows our frame. He knows that we have weaknesses. He was tempted like we were. But think about the forever part. This is the fun part. This is where you get to use your sanctified imagination. He's coming back to get us. He's got a place prepared for you. You know, I use this sometimes in, when I do a memorial service. You know, if if I go away, uh, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I do go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you. That where I am, you may be also, right? So the point I like to make, and I think there's some truth to it, I can't prove it yet. 
Someday we'll all know for sure. Is that God's making you. He's making your home. He's carving out a place. This is your dwelling place in the kingdom of heaven. In the eternal realm. Wherever that is in heaven. And when it's all done. He's got all the furniture put in order. Everything's perfectly the way he ordained it for you. Then he calls you home. To take your place. That's what forever looks to. We are his bride. We belong to him. We're going to live and reign with him. Wherever he goes, the bride goes with him. And we're going to be with him forever. And when he comes back, he's the judge and he's going to make, the Bible says the father's committed all judgment to the son and he's going to straighten out this mess once and for all. The Sabbath rest is going to last for a thousand years and he's going to rule and reign and put this place at peace. It won't it be great? <laughs> yes, it's going to be great. So I like to think in terms of a past, present, and future when it comes to how God works in our lives and, and the, what, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he's going to do. He helps encourage us, I think. He's the great shepherd of the sheep. You think about that. He's our guide. He's our protector. He's our caretaker. He does everything and more than as a shepherd for us. Now, in verse 9, he gets, again, he's getting practical. Paul is a practical person. He says, don't be carried away with various and strange doctrines. For it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. You know, that's, what are some, let's begin with the strange doctrines. If you guys want to mention one that I, don't, that's fine. Pipe right up. But how about the once saved, always saved doctrine? I believe that's a, a doctrine of men. And I think it's strange because I haven't, I've yet to find it in the scriptures. But I find human responsibility all throughout. You know, I find the words, if you continue in the faith, the word if is conditional. I find that you have to have this continual position of heart where it's loyal love towards Yahweh whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament can I stop having loyal love for my wife for my children for others that's possible could I get mad at God and turn my back on him like that's what Satan did actually I just really think church tradition and some things that have been taught in the church are not always accurate and we have to be careful about what we believe. We should know the Bible, what we believe, and why we believe it. Or, you know, preaching the gospel to the non-elect. Let's not do that. Well, number one, I don't know who they are. And I wouldn't know, even begin to know how to find that out. Were you ordained to be saved or not? Because if you're not, I'm not going to talk to you about Jesus. Is that, how would you discern that? It's just, you know... Kathy and I have been talking about this uh, with her study and all. This whole, th- it, what's a, it's a marvelous study, uh, the study of the nations. You know, if you study you know, Ch- Genesis 10 and how God set the boundaries for all the nations and he put 70 of the angels in charge. Psalm, or Deuteronomy 32, 8 talks about him giving the nations their inheritance. That would have been the rulers, the uh, watchers that were 
these 70 that were given responsibility over the nations. And what did they do? They rebelled. Genesis 11. And then we have... How do we know this? Well, we know that they were judged in Psalm 82, but we also know um, that Gabriel uh, was in a fight. Uh, as we read through the scriptures, you know, Daniel 4 talks about the watchers. And then we have uh, verse 17 in particular there. And then we go to chapter 10 and we realize he's fighting to get to Daniel to give him the interpretation and an understanding of what was going on in, with all this. And so I'm going to leave here and then I'm going to go fight with the prince of Persia. And your prince, Michael, so he's the one over God's nation. Michael's the prince over Israel. And he's going to, Gabriel is against the prince of Persia. Because it's going to help him there because the prince of Greece is coming too. So you can see these, this is how God, God's a delegator. He delegates authority. And, and he's done it to the, to the angelic realm to some degree. And so what is the number one fear? Because these things still exist in our day. It isn't past, you know, just in the book of Daniel. This is in the present day. Who do these angels, these fallen angels, these gods, with div uh, divine attributes, who do they influence? Presidents, dictators. And what do governments try to do? Generally speaking, over time, what happens? They enslave the people. That's what, that's what the, the, the unseen realm is all about. It's enslaving humanity, making us their slaves, that we would worship them and not Yahweh. So what is their worst fear? And this should really revolutionize our thinking, to, at least to some degree. They fear the Great Commission. The gates of hell shall not prevail what does that mean? That means if the church is actively pursuing the Great Commission, taking the gospel, when we go into a city to preach the gospel, that means the, the gates that hold in the wickedness and protect the people from the truth, they're not going to stand in our way. Nothing can hold back the gospel message when we are empowered and filled with the Spirit because those creatures are the trespassers and we have been given authority by the Lord Jesus Christ, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. The gospel will keep people from being enslaved to them. That's what they fear. That's why they're trying to dispose of humanity. Before humanity can wake up and repent and receive forgiveness of their sins, they know their days are numbered. They want to take as many people with them to the netherworld. And so this is... Uh, these are important things. And that may sound like a strange, strange doctrine to you, but it's not. If you'll study it, you'll find it. It's there. I think reading the Bible backwards is stupid. As it's being, and this Bible code is foolish. I think those are strange. I think the name it, claim it is strange. The prosperity gospel. The, you know, why are we always talking about Money. As if that is the answer in this prosperity gospel. Where's the praise and the love for God? Where's the emphasis on prayer and fellowship and the things that strengthen the inner man and make people more godly? You know, this is, this is what the Bible's about. We're to be uh, enraptured with that kind of a thing. And so what he says there, you know, he, he talks about... Uh, for it's good that the heart be established by grace. 
Where does that come from? It comes from God. It comes from good doctrine. Orthodoxy. That's what it means. Orthos, healthy, or good. Doctrine, uh, doxies, doctrine. So healthy doctrine leads to what? Healthy living. Orthopraxis. Or prosidum. You know, healthy way of life. You know, ortho means straight, proxis means action, straight action. You're doing the right thing because you're being taught the truth and how to live and how to love. Because that's really what the teaching of the Bible is about. That's what the law is based upon, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's one tablet. And love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two tablets. And that's what Jesus said. Upon all this were the... Old Testament and the prophets hung upon these two principles. Love God and love your fellow man. That's good doctrine. That's what grace, that's, how, that's what graces our hearts. Now think about this. He talks about not with foods. What were the Jews really focused upon? <laughs> don't eat that. Don't eat that. Don't even think about eating that. Right? And if I don't, if I abide by that, then God's going to bless me. And it be, turns into this works thing of what goes in my mouth as long as I don't defile myself. Now, I think that was important for them to obey the law because actually if it's done in the right heart with the right motive, then it's an expression of, of loyal love to God. And that's what the whole thing was based upon in the Old Testament. It wasn't, they were not saved by their works. They were saved by their loyal love and commitment to God. And that was expressed through making sacrifice and obeying his commands. He knew that it's not smart to eat pork. And for those of you who overeat pork, you probably, every now and then wish you probably wouldn't have had that extra slice of bacon, right? <laughs> it upsets your stomach. You can't handle it. Your body can only process so much of that grease, right? I'm not sure if that's it, but I'm just saying, you don't focus on the food. <laughs> um, Really just understand grace. What it's, it's, we just simply love God for who he is. Just love the Lord. It's all, that's what it's about. It's not religion, it's relationship. Just love the Lord for who he is. And you're not trying to be holy. You're not trying to do something extra to make God bless you. How can you enhance something that cannot be enhanced? How can you enhance grace? It's impossible. You, you can't make it better than it already is. All you have to do is receive it. So why do we do that? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know why we do. Verses 10 through 14, he talks about bearing the reproach. And this is the issue that was going on with these people that received this letter, the Jewish people. They were being reproached because they have left the old covenant they weren't going to the temple. They weren't breaking out, dragging their sacrifice you know, to, to the high priest. They weren't laying on their hands on the sacrifice anymore. They were not doing any of that. They were simply following Jesus. And that was a reproach. Look what he says there in verse 10. We have an altar that those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. There's a table. Which table do you want to eat from? Do you want to eat from the Old Covenant or do you want to eat at the table that Jesus has set for us? And this is what the challenge is all about. And then he goes on to detail to, again, remind them for the bodies of those animals whose blood is bought, 
brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Wow. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Therefore, by him, let us continue to offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Are we not talking about a personal relationship there? Isn't that, it's not about the outward demonstration of some religious exercise and ritual that was performed in the Old Covenant. It's about a relationship with the living God by faith. And the typology is powerful. But we have, the, he's trying to tell them, look, this is a better altar. This is so much better. Don't, this is not our home. This is not our home. We have a city, think about Abraham, as he mentioned that earlier. He, he sought a city in a country whose builder and maker was God. This is not his home. The promised land was to be given to his children. His real home was heaven. He understood that. Think about this. Everything outside the camp of Israel was considered unclean. So, Jesus was considered unclean. And and this is what was confusing to them. Well, think about the scapegoat, the goal. You know, what's the what's the word for the the goat? The scapegoat. Goel's kinsman redeemer. No, that's a demon. It's a demon. Essentially, he called it. They would take the two goats. One, they draw lots, and one goat would be set outside the camp and go out into the wilderness. And the idea of that the sin of the camp and the nation was to be lost forever and gone. As far as the east is from the west, our sins were removed from us, right? And the other one would be sacrificed upon the altar. Haziel, something like that. Yeah, is the name of that. So, outside the camp is the reference there. So, verses 17, um, we've got the altar in verse 10, but we also have the priestly duty here that we have been called to. Yes, our our priestly duty, as I've read there, is to give thanks and to praise God with the fruit of our lips. That is what it's about, just our worship of Him. One of the things that God highly values in us is thankfulness. I mean, think of the ten lepers who were all healed and only one came back. Only 10% of the people, is that true? Is that the way it is? Only 10% of Christians are really thankful. (laughs) I don't know if you can say that. But Jesus made a big, he pointed that out. Well, hey, weren't there 10 of you healed? You know, that, think about how you, when you do go out of your way to do something for someone, 
And when they recognize that you've sacrificed or you've done something to bless them and they give you thanks, it's, 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 there's, there's a, like, it's just that's the right thing to do. And it feels uh, there's a satisfaction there. Now, I don't know how that relates to God, but I know that he ex- wants us to acknowledge those things. He wants us to, uh, to give thanks. Um, what do we have but what we've received? And how can, is it that we can act as though we haven't received what we have? That's, and that's, it's really an expression of humility when you give thanks. And so I think that's part of it as well. But he goes on to say uh, that we're to do good. Let me continue to read here. But do not forget to do good and to share. With such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. As those who must give an account, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. And so, he, again, these simple little exhortations. Just be a, a do-gooder. <laughs> you know, that's, think about uh, how good God is. And, and, of course, He's the only one that really is good. And to share. I mean, don't you, aren't you blessed by being a giver? Doesn't it bless you to help others? You know, God loves a cheerful giver. Yeah, and this is what it's about. Sometimes we overlook the simple things, you know. You know, I have more than I need. What does it matter if I let let it go to help somebody else out? They probably need it worse than I do anyway, you know, potentially. And so just learning to be a generous giver, um, because that's what God is. We're God-like when, we are, when we're doing good. And... God, you know, as he says there, God is well pleased with sacrifices. And I think about that when what just happened in our church in the last month or so here, just the people sacrificing and giving. I mean, to, to watch, you know, I'm not surprised by what God has done, but I am blown away. And that's not a contradiction. It's just, he's amazing. It's just a wonderful thing to witness and to be able to move the, you know, because people are willing to do good and sacrifice. And you know what? God's got a smile on his face. I hope he keeps smiling upon Calvary Chapel here, right? And then he's just encouraging him to obey uh, those who have rule over you. That's the second time he's mentioned leaders. One, remember them, that which in the first praying for them. Now, you know, follow you know what they have to say. They're going to give an account. You know, as a pastor, those of you who've pastored, those of you who are leaders in the church, you know the way to that. You know we're going to receive a stricter judgment, just the way it is. And this is what these last verses to me are so Paulinish. Uh, verse eighteen: Pray for us. I heard that phrase before from Paul. <laughs> for we are confident that we have a good conscience. He talks about that with Timothy. In all things, desiring to live honorably, he talks about having a good conscience and especially urge you to do this, that we may be restored to you the sooner. He talks about the chains in the previous chapters. So um, this is really easy to see uh, Paul in some of this here. Verse 20, in the last few verses, he ends the epistle here. 
Now may the God of peace, who brought you up, our Lord Jesus, from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brethren, bear the word of exhortation, for it is written to you in a few words. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you, and all the saints, those from Italy, greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. Give thanks, good or bad, give thanks. You know, it's possible to worship God in the middle of suffering. Every one of us have gone through suffering. And there's a, I believe there's an extra measure of grace given to us so that we can learn to worship. Paul worshiped in his sufferings. Remember when he was incarcerated at, at Philippi and they had beaten these guys and they were bleeding and bloody and thrown into the prison and they started praising the Lord. Do you remember what happened? There's an earthquake. <laughs> and, and their chains fall off. And, and they get, and you know, the flipping jailer gets saved. Say? Yeah. Amen. And so you just, you just think about um, the sacrifice of praise is a very important thing.